1: I'm a performance artist who fights the Anglo-capitalist hegemony, unless my acceptance of fellowships and curation jobs with increasingly prestigious arts institutions means that I'm a hypocrite with false consciousness. Even though I am a truculent institutional critic, I'm going to co-direct a show at the Whitney Lect next year. And right now, I'm doing this residency at the Guggenheim. This is GP Gottlieb host for New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today I'm talking to Ixta Maya Murray, law professor and author of Art is Everything. In social media posts, rejected reviews on Yelp, unauthorized descriptions of museum art and stream of consciousness rants, Murray tells the story of a woman whose dreams of being an artist are sidelined. Amanda Ruiz has a loving girlfriend and is a successful performance artist with a number of credits and honors under her belt. Then her father dies, her girlfriend leaves her, she's sexually assaulted, and she can't find her way back to her art. Murray's erudite musings venture beyond tales of performance artists to stories of philosophers, writers, and scientists who discovered something that Amanda needs to learn in order to live an authentic life. Hi, Iksa. Thanks for joining me today.
0: Hey, Khalid. I'm thrilled to be uh, here with you today talking about books. So I just spoke to you about six months ago
1: about your book of short stories, and now we're talking about your novel. And you also
0: have a full-time job as a
1: law professor. So
0: do you ever sleep? <laughs> no, I don't sleep that well, but I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to get better on that account. I'm pretty busy, but I I love it. So can you talk a bit about your own background in art, your art criticism, and your process for writing Art is Everything? Absolutely. Thanks so much. So yeah, the book is called, the novel is called Art is Everything. And it, I began writing it about two and a half years ago, um, uh, maybe three years ago, which is around the same time that I started to write art criticism for art journals. So my my progress towards writing about art, I'm a law professor, as you noted, and I had written about art in legal periodicals, um, doing kind of theoretical work around uh, sexual assault and, for example, the work of Tracy Emin, who's this wonderful British artist. But slowly I started to think that maybe some of the writing that I was doing about art in law could be translated uh, into arts periodicals. And I had this experience, I went to the Los Angeles County Museum of Art in around 2016 or 2017, and I saw this phenomenal um, retrospective of the work of Agnes Martin, who, is this minimal, who was this minimalist and who's famous for making these graph paintings, these really spare paintings that often just have a series of lines in them. And her, her work sounds really simple, and it is very simple, in a lot of ways, been complex, and others. But I also noticed that uh, LACMA had not mentioned on its. There, so you know, when you go to a museum, there are all these signs on the walls, or all these words on the walls, so that you're supposed to in little little, little plates by the paintings where you get descriptions mm-hmm. of the work. And uh, I noticed that none of the text in the exhibit mentioned two two things, which is that Martin was a lesbian and that uh, she uh, had also experienced schizophrenia of a fairly substantial degree, as far as I can tell within my reading, and in fact had gone to Bellevue and had experienced electro, uh, electroshock therapy. And anyway, so disability and sexuality weren't part of the didactics of the show, and I felt pretty frustrated about that. I thought it was important. And um, so I wound up writing an essay about art criticism, an art criticism essay that I wound up uh, uh, sending to a magazine called Artillery Magazine, a wonderful magazine here in Los Angeles. whose editor uh, is uh, Tulsa Kinney, and she wound up taking it. And that began my my life as an art critic, which has just added so much richness uh, to my everyday experience. So, I started writing a ton of arts criticism, particularly for artillery. But I also started writing fiction um, about art. It just kind of started to morph into fictional writing. And the writings of uh, my art criticism, which turned into fiction, later turned into art. Is that- Ooh.
1: <laughs> and so, is that how Amanda was born, your protagonist?
0: Yes, Amanda is uh, a performance artist and a conceptualist. So a performance artist, I mean, these things sometimes belie um, a finite description or definition, but a performance artist, in, in my understanding of it, uh, performs often with their body um, uh, before an audience. They're not entertaining you. They're elaborating upon an idea or an emotion. Um, there's often some shock value, which is can be very enriching. Uh, it, Performance art takes on many different forms. So she does that. Uh, she she does what she calls a, a critical race um, um, a burlesque show, which uh, I stole from uh, Zandra Ibarra, who's a, a, a Chicana artist uh, who works sometimes in Los Angeles. Anyway, so she's this performance artist who does these kind of out there, really extreme performances. And she also considers herself, herself a conceptualist, by which I mean um, that coming up with a concept itself and, and expressing it in some way, not necessarily in material form, is itself uh, making art. So she's really kind of out there uh, as an artist, but uh, it can't be said that she is financially successful or, in fact, has really penetrated the higher temples of the art industrial complex and it's so she's kind of operating on the fringes of the art world and making mm-hmm. incredible art and that's that's a character uh amanda ruiz a bisexual chicana performance artist conceptualist.
1: so you said in in your answer to the previous question that you started you noticed that it was never mentioned that an artist was a lesbian and mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. Agnes Martin oh, is that is that important to know about artists? Is it important
0: to know about their personal lives? Yeah, such a great such a great question. And in fact, it's become particularly uh, a, a present question in analyses of, of Agnes Martin herself. Uh, some critics say that you sh- we should really just focus on the graph. The graph says everything. We don't need any other information. But maybe it's because of my background as a narrative artist, uh, that is a writer. I'm always interested in the story. I'm always interested in uh, who who made the art and why they made it, and what difficulties they had making it and um, and, uh, and 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 in understanding the art uh, through the prism of their lives. I simply can't I can't help it. I can't disassociate the object from the story. And so for me, uh, knowing these facts about uh, the lives of artists, uh, the lives of marginalized artists, people with uh, mental health struggles, uh, people who are who have a queer sexuality, um, is important not only just to understand the art, but also uh, to, to, to bring forward, to articulate, uh, and to acknowledge uh, the diversity of artists and these uh, really suppressed uh, erased identities. So, so I found it a form of queer erasure when uh, Martin's uh, sexuality was not described uh, in the text of the show. So for me, it's 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 critical on a couple of different levels. Yeah, and your character also is
1: upset about that sort of thing too and she uh here's what I'm wondering how did you decide which of the characters would be fictional like Amanda's a fictional character and which like the artists are actual people are all the artists based
0: on true stories of actual performance artists yes every single artist that's uh uh, discussed and written about in this novel is a is a real artist. Agnes Martin, Joseph Boyes, Marina Abramovich, uh, Glenn Ligon, uh, Laura Aguilar, all of them incredible, incredible artists at, the, at really the top of their fields. Also some lesser known um, artists like this one incredible artist named Lindsay Tunkel, uh, who's a conceptualist and performance artist who I met at the Hammer uh, when she was selling these Crazy perfumes that she named after um, terms associated with the apocalypse. I mean, so yeah, all the artists are real, and it's Amanda herself is uh, in her relationships and the people in her world who are fictional. Wait a second. So you included pictures of some
1: of her art, Lindsay Tunkel's art. Yes, this she was the performance. Artist who was dunking her head into a bowl of water while singing.
0: Singing, like, I will always what, love you.
1: Yeah. I will always love I'll you. What,
0: well, what about
1: Lindsay Tunkel's art was so provocative to Amanda? Was it because it was provocative to
0: you? Yes. Uh, okay. Yeah. Amanda is a braver version of myself uh, because uh, she continues making art uh, or trying to, even when um, her whole life collapses. Whereas um, I'm not as, I haven't been as stalwart as she is, but she's intrigued by an artist like Lindsay Tunkel, who, so Tunkel is amazing. She uh, does things like tattoo tattoo or draw the word uh, Holocene uh, on her, on the underside of her lip and then take photographs of it. And uh, like I said, she makes these, crazy perfumes, uh, and she designs tarot cards, and she'll design these uh, performance art actions based on calling uh, a lover who no longer wants to talk to her uh, time and time again as she's driving towards this person across California. And so it's it's the intensity, it's the intensity of the art and the intensity of the artist, uh, the, the idea that... Amanda really wants to be in the presence of an artist who is hooked into the life force and hooked into things that are uh, vivid and even painful. And Lindsay Tunkel most certainly is. I recommend uh, her work to everyone who is listening to us today. uh, You can find it on Vimeo and assorted other uh, platforms. It's really wonderful.
1: What defines someone as an artist? Is it their training
0: because they say they're artists or because they earn money from their art? It better not be because they earn money from it because then I'm in a lot of trouble and so is Amanda. <laughs> um, but so, so the question of what makes someone an artist and what makes something art is a question that propels um, Amanda forward in her life. Uh, in part because uh, so she she loses her father to a, a pretty destructive blood cancer, and she also breaks up uh, or is, is abandoned by the love of her life, uh, Sochi, this actuary who's really together, really cool. And anyway, she's she's lost everyone important in her life, and she still wants to make art. And the question for her is: when I'm just sitting here. Uh, crying, like she, she tries to make art by crying into the dust on uh, the windshield of her Prius, and she calls them action drawings, like after the action paintings of uh, Jackson Pollock, those famous drip paintings. And she's, she's like, is this art or am I just having a nervous breakdown? And uh, it, it is, it is, that's her, that's her uh, way of trying to keep connected to her art practice and also ask important questions about what it means to be alive and how uh, one should live. Well, as an, as
1: an art critic, can you differentiate art from uh, suffering and from
0: mm-hmm.
1: what, everything else out there? Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, so, I, so as an art critic and as a human being, I certainly can, uh, I know that there are spaces where suffering uh, uh, does not ennoble, suffering does not uh, lead to creation, suffering uh, does not uplift or do anything else, except for hurt, and that there's another space where that is generative, in, uh, even if it's painful, uh, and that is, you know, bent on creation. Uh, and these things really can uh, be divorced from each other. Um, but a very fertile question is, uh, can we make art from these spaces in our life that we would otherwise write off as, uh, null, uh, void, um, dead, deadening, and it's uh, her effort to revitalize um, her life from this from this anguish um, that that leads her to attempt to make art out of out of her reactions to that which is painful in, in the world. And she's suffering. She
1: she suffers after the breakup when so she breaks up with her and she suffers. Uh, from when her father dies and she suffers from being sexually
0: assaulted. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And she makes art each time. Every time she makes art. That's why she's the coolest because she, for some reason, doesn't just get into a fetal position. She keeps on creating uh, like many great artists uh, do. And... um, it is that stamina and that tenacity uh, that I admire so much and that, that is, has been reflected in the lives of other women artists who, who I'm, you know, the most interested in probably. Like Tracy Emin, who was raped at the age of 13, uh, who experienced several abortions that uh, uh, sh- that were necessary for her. Uh, but that she also found um, maybe psychologically destructive. Like Micheline Thomas, the great Black American uh, lesbian painter, photographer, and installation artist um, who uh, lost uh, her beloved mother, who was a muse to her and one of her uh, subjects. And both of these artists, when faced with uh, these catastrophes, had something within them that allowed them. To make art in reaction uh, to those losses. And uh, and there's something to learn in that uh, for me and perhaps for other people as well. How can we create out of that which would otherwise uh, ruin us? Mm -hmm.
1: Can we talk a bit about how Amanda reacts to the exhausted guard at the Museum of Modern Art and how And how that leads to her falling in love again. Yes. Thinking she's fallen in love again. Yeah,
0: she does. She does fall in love. I mean, we can get into a long question of what is self-interest and what is love. Um, But uh, so I was at the Museum of Contemporary Art in New York uh, now many years ago. And I found this so I walk into this room, it was completely based on my own experience in, in part. I walk into this room uh, where there, there's a, there's a one man, uh, a, a security guard, he's a black man, and he is just standing there. And there's a sort of a silver thing at his feet. And everyone else in the room um, was white. I'm Mexican-American, everybody else appeared to be of Anglo ancestry and nobody was looking at him and he just seemed to be staring out into space. So I walk up to him and I'm like, Hey, what's going on? What is this? And he says, I, I he says, I don't know. It's, it's art. And so I looked down and it's this little steel weight and I found that it was attached uh, to a plastic filament, a string that went all the way up to the ceiling. And I said, do you stand here all day looking at this, at the string and he says yes i have to because otherwise people would walk into it and um i said how does that how does that work for you and he says at the end of the day i have to soak my feet and um it, it it was pretty evident to me that he had been assigned a task that uh was not was that no one should be assigned to do uh that is to stare at to stand in one place uh to stare at an invisible string uh, to have no one talk to you uh, or even seem to notice you, and it just struck me, and I'll talk about what the art is in a second. Uh, and it just struck me about um, how we walk into the, these museums in order to be transported and to connect to the life force and to learn something, but that within every room, uh, there are conditions of inequality and even a kind of violence in some in some cases if you if you could define uh, being required to stand uh, for many hours a day, looking at uh, an invisible string, uh, while people ignored you as a as a form of bodily and psychic violence, and so um, and, and yet we are being trained uh, through these these art institutions to look away from the suffering and towards these multimillion dollar works of art, which is a which is a very uh, um, negative form of social conditioning, which is the kindest way that I can. With that. And so the art turned out to be a work called uh, Untitled by an artist named Robert Berry, and he, he made it in the 1960s. And, uh, and it's just, again, it's this, this metal weight attached to a plastic string that goes all the way up to the ceiling. And Berry said that he wanted to make art that was about nothing uh, because he thought that nothing was the most important idea in the world. I might be mangling his quote, but it was something, something to that effect. And it occurred to me that it might be great for artists to um, uh, make art about nothing, and it might be great for art lovers to waft around. Oh, the Museum of Modern Art. Modern art. I apologize. It was MoMA in New York. I said Mocha. Such an Angelino. Anyway, so it might be great for people to waft around MoMA, contemplating nothing and the, the history of art. as is- to Robert Berry, but that it's not good for nothing to be uh, imposed upon uh, a person as a condition of work. And and that's how I saw uh, what was going on with this guard. And so I wound up writing this story about Amanda, who's trying to have this conversation with this guard, but feels weird, like she doesn't want to impose. She thinks that maybe she's exploiting him or embarrassing him. And then she winds up writing a long uh, disc- excursion or long uh, story or essay about the meaning of nothing, as well as and the distinction between nothing and invisibility, because the string was supposedly invisible, and the man, um, in some ways, um, uh, with apologies to Ellison, uh, uh, truly was. I really enjoyed that story, but I was wondering, shouldn't
1: artists realize? that if they create something that's going to require a guard, it's some of the responsibility falls on their shoulders, or is it the museum that chose to put it in the middle of a room instead of in a corner where nobody could hurt themselves?
0: I think that's a, I think that's a great curatorial and social justice question. Um, It has to be everybody's responsibility. It has to be everybody's responsibility. It has to be the responsibility of the Institute because no one, no one, uh, Um, vector is going to take care of this. It has to be the responsibility of the institution. It has to be the responsibility of the artist. It has to be the responsibility of the people who go uh, to the museum and the people who write about it. Um, Uh, I also
1: have a question. Maybe this is a coastal museum situation, but I'm relatively sure that at the Art Institute here in Chicago, when it's open to the public, uh, I'm, I'm relatively sure that the guards take breaks in a consistent way and they're not, and nobody's ever standing all day.
0: Yeah. 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 The, That's right. Right. It's not, it's not a forced death march. So I wound okay. right, but I wound up uh, doing some research on um, as one does now, since it's all here on this little box that we call the computer about the psychological effects of being a guard. And uh, it turns out that being a guard uh, in in the way that I was witnessing at MoMA um, can be, can be corrosive to one's mental health. So uh, there were suggestions like there are these, these these suggestions that are made for guards. Like, well, if you find yourself, you know, find yourself having difficulty just standing there all day without anybody talking to you and just looking at the same thing all day, then you can count uh, the tiles in the floor where you can count and see how many people come in wearing blue. And um, anyway, it's just, I think it's an important social problem to process. The art, the art world has been uh, the subject of great and important and necessary critique, particularly, and this has received very uh, pretty high wattage in the last five or six years um, uh, for a lot of different reasons. Um, where the money's coming from, right? Some of it comes from the drug industry, uh, who uh, is being represented at these museums. Uh, There's been, ever since the guerrilla girls, right, in the 1980s who were protesting sexist uh, curational and collection practices at museums uh, began shouting about this. Uh, We've been trying to alert to the problems of inequality and arts institutions, but um, the issues of of guards uh, is, is part, is part of that, I think, critique as well. And uh, I think it's, I tried to put in the voice of the person that I was speaking to. I don't want to speak for him. Um, but it's just something something that I noticed and it's something that uh, Amanda um, became uh, very bothered by. Yeah, later in the book, uh,
1: Amanda says, uh, Amanda says, art requires a distance, an artifice, an audience. purpose apart. So what do you think differentiates art from non-art?
0: Yes. So um, in my, I think that it's the intent of the artist. I think that what is art and what is not art is now uh, uh, determined by the intent of the artist as well as of the audience. And both of these forces together help uh, debate, discuss, and determine whether something functions or qualifies as art. Um, so, for example, Marina Bramovich, who I have previously mentioned, is probably um, she is I'd have to say the most famous living uh, performance artist. Joseph Beuys, uh, who has de- is deceased, uh, may be um, second or. Prior to her, more important than her, in some kind of exhausting um, uh, uh, list of who is the most important performance artist, nevertheless. Um, Abramovich has done things like she, The Artist Is Present, which is her famous kind of uh, show at MoMA where she sat in a chair for I don't know how long and looked into the eyes of every single person who um, wanted to sit uh, across from her at a table and simply share eye contact. And she did that for an extraordinarily long period of time. uh, And she declared that to be art. So if looking in someone's eyes can be art, sanctioned by the great um, MoMA, I believe, and um, then many other things can also qualify as art. The question then becomes, is it good art? Right, I think it's I think it's harder to establish what's good art than what than what is art. The definitions since Duchamp of uh, what art is have expanded um, geometrically and wildly. Um, but what is what is good? And w- for me, the definition of what is good art is that which that which communicates, that w- that which inspires an idea or a feeling. Mm.
1: I I, uh, I can only say it about music, and for me, what is good music. Is music I like. So. Right, right. <laughs> I think that we're that's say, probably we're for most the,
0: people. We're saying the same thing.
1: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, Excel, so, this is two books in one year. Within a year, I'm wondering what's next
0: for you. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, I I'm writing about a couple. I'm writing t- uh, two different books. Um, one is so I found out. Uh, a couple years ago that there had been a um, nuclear uh, reactor meltdown in Simi Valley about half an hour from where I live in, Mm. um, what was it? Yeah, the late 1950s, I believe, and that it had never been properly cleaned up. And so there's radionuclide contamination in uh, Simi Valleys. There's this area called Santa Susana. Uh, There was this big uh, experimental nuclear reactor facility there that was operating for many years. And uh, um, there have been uh, cancer clusters that erupted around there. And I decided that I would write a novel around um, this this space that had been abandoned, like so many other places, uh, by the government. And um, to t- tell the stories of the people who had worked there. So I'm working on that book, and I'm also working on another book about, uh, I know I know this is probably, you can guess this uh, one, Asteroids. Uh, about, apologies, uh, this is my little dog, Babs. She's fussing. Um, I'm writing about asteroids and about a woman who uh, is a radar astronomer whose job is uh, to detect um, uh, dangerous near-Earth objects. Hmm. So, yeah.
1: This one sounds really cool. They all sound, both sound cool, Super can't sweet. we? Yeah,
0: it's pretty basic.
1: So good luck to you. Happy writing. Happy reading. Hope this is a year of, uh, hope 2021 is a wonderful year for us. All.
0: Galit, I, I just, I thank you so much uh, for speaking with me and I wish you health and joy. And thank you for joining me. Again, this is GP Gottlieb,
1: author of the Whipped and Sipped Mystery Series and host for New Books and Literature a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today I've been talking with Ixtamaya Murray about her fascinating novel, Art is Everything. Hope all of you listeners are able to lose yourself in a good book today and tomorrow too. Happy reading.